The other thing that I am uh, incorporating as well is uh, I've been collecting recordings of the sermon. I actually record the sermon up here. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to work through the technical sides of organizing that on the website into a database where people can do that. I'm working through that. If anybody here has that wonderful skill of technology, I would love to let you just have this wonderful task and just do it. Just seeds of thought here. We're going to try to get some sermons recorded up on the website so people can hear, but that's a good thing because we want people to hear the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Well, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2. As we continue to work through uh, Peter's letter to the churches, uh, I have personally, in my own personal preparation and study time through these sermons, have really come to appreciate Peter's articulation and, and importance, emphasis of salvation. That salvation is not something we decide. Salvation is not something we, we make happen. I understand what it means when people use the phrase that they have made a decision for Christ. I understand where that comes from. And there is an important point where we must embrace the salvation given to us through Christ. But I love Peter's language here. And I was talking with someone else. Actually, I talked to probably three different people this week about this passage in different situations. And I always keep coming back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think this is probably one of my new life verses that I'm, I'm leaning to in this season. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 has always been kind of my uh, my favorite passage of Scripture. But this right here, I think, in this season for me, has really resonated with me more so than ever. When I'm talking to people, I've actually had a couple of conversations in the last few weeks with folks asking about salvation. And I'm coming back to this language that Peter is using. It is God through His mercy and His grace who has caused us to be born again. We don't emphasize that enough in the, in the churches anymore, I think. It's always about what God is doing for us to give us and bless us. And, and God does do so much. He has done more than anyone ever can through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not that God blesses us with materialism as much as it is God has caused our salvation. Amen? And that's a mystery. How does that work? And that's the Gospel. But let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you will, stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin reading in verse 4. We'll read verses 4 through 8. And this, is what, this will be our text for today. The Apostle Peter continues to write in this wonderful letter, beginning in chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Father God, we do uh, thank you and, and just sing praises to your name. You have caused us to be born again in the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. But the words of Peter here also remind us that you have established your church and you are building your church through stones that are alive. That's us. Stones that are not perfect. You're having to chisel and, more, and, and smooth us out from time to make us fit and be the stone you want us to be. So that we can be united and we can be the church that you want us to be. But God, you also give warning here through your servant Peter that those who reject you see the stone of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the church, they see this as as an offense and they stumble across it. I pray God this morning you teach us through the words of your servant Peter what it means to be shaped by you into a living stone. What it means, Father, if we do not understand this gospel, it's because we are offended by it and God is not shaping us as a stone. I pray, God, you teach us today. Let this time be yours. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just fill this room. Let us know you're here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. I was having a conversation with Aiden back here in the back. Aiden and I are getting to know each other. He's, he's, I think he's one of my new best friends. He's a good kid. He was talking about, we were talking about building things. Aiden wants a new bedroom for himself. He's, you know, he's, he's that, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing better than a man having his own place, right? Men, would you agree? Men, we gotta have our own place? All the wives are going, no, you don't. It's not, we gotta have a place to put our stuff. We gotta have a place that's our cave, right? Men gotta have a place, right? I think all, even girls, girls, you gotta have your own place too, right? Where you can put your stuff and have your own room. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but what that requires is sometimes we have to build things, right? Anybody, anybody here build stuff? Anybody ever, ever, ever had to build a shed or you build fences, don't you, Matt? Right? You guys built, I think the Atkins family, you had to build a, or re, rebuild a chicken coop recently, right? Right? When you own a property, when you own things, it requires maintenance. We have to build things from time to time. Take some skill. But think about this. When you're building something, how many times does the material you're working with fit exactly the way you want it? Sometimes you gotta cut it, you gotta shape it, you gotta measure it, you gotta make sure it fits exactly where it needs to be. If the, if the two by four is too long, you gotta cut it down. If, if the plywood is not really the right shape, you gotta make it the right shape. When you're doing brick work, anybody here ever laid brick? Any stone masons? You've done some masonry work, anybody? I've actually had to do some stone work before, a house that we built years ago. We actually, uh, had this beautiful idea that we were gonna do stacked stone on the foundation, and then guess what? That meant the chimney had to be stacked stone to match the foundation. It took me about two years to get that job done. Seriously. So, I mean, two years to get the house, the foundation stoned and the chimney stoned. And I mean, I've never, I had never done stone work before. Anybody ever worked with rock or brick? That's 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 interesting work. I mean, I, I really appreciate a stonemason's skill. 
Because when you're working with stone, it's not something that you can just get sandpaper and shave off a little bit and make it fit. You're going to have to chisel it. You're going to have to cut it. And when you cut stone, you're going to have to do it with special tools. You've got to use water. You've got to use chisels. You've got to use all kinds of tools to get that stone to work exactly the way it needs to be. Matter of fact, just down the road here, as you're going down uh, uh, where Buck Mountain turns into Broad Street, as you're going into uh, Cookville off of Dry Valley, there's a new, it uh, looks like a new subdivision being built there on the left, and they're, they're building some beautiful stone columns there at the front of the entrance. And I've been watching these stonemasons over the last few months, and they're working slow, but they're working precisely. Those stones are being cut and fit exactly to match where it needs to go. Now think about this. The language here that Peter is using here in verse 4, he's using this imagery of a stone. As you come to him, he says, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. There comes a time when we're building things that there are certain materials that we reject because it's not exactly what we want. Anybody here ever, uh, even, even, even when you're cooking, you're building a meal, no matter what we put our hands to, if you're drawing something, if you're creating something, if you're building something, if you're cooking something, just think about anything that you're actually creating. There comes a little bit of waste with that. Like we're picking, uh, we're picking tomatoes now out of our garden. And I'm having to pick them before the squirrels get to them, so I'm picking them a little bit green, right? And then they ripen. But if you leave it too long, then the then the uh, the squirrels get a hold of it, and it puts a, a a bad spot on the tomato. Or maybe the tomato gets a little too ripe, and there's a, a rough there's a rotten spot on the tomato. That tomato, you know, we may keep part of. I don't know. We may keep part of. It, we may just toss it out. But there's certain you have to be picky here when you're creating things. And so sometimes we have to reject material. We have to reject certain things as we build whatever it is we're building. And Peter here in verse 4, he, he talks to the church. He's continuing to communicate with the church here about the goodness of God. Remember last week in verse uh, 2 and 3? Oh, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, and he's referring to Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Take that thought and, and, and merge into verse 4 here. And now Peter says, As you have tasted the goodness of God, as you come to Him, you are a living stone. You are a stone that is rejected by men. He's talking to the Christians here who have tasted the goodness of God through the blood of Christ. And the world rejects them. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, every now and then you may run across people in this community, in this, in this world that totally rejects you personally. I have not had that personal rejection and really that's so, that is so devastating by the world that I, I get crushed out. But can I just be real direct with you? As a Christian, let me tell you where, I, where I've seen the most rejection. The most rejection I've seen as a Christian is from those in the church who call themselves Christians. Peter here is saying it is the world that the men, a living stone rejected by men. If we are in Christ, it is the men of the world who reject us. Why is he saying this? Remember, what's the context of 1 Peter? He's writing to the churches who are in a state of, of, of exile. They have been 
persecuted by the state of Rome. This is, this is during one of the very, actually the very first statewide persecutions of the church by Emperor Nero. They have been rejected by Rome. They have been rejected by the state. They have been rejected by their neighbors. They have been rejected by their community. And they have had to run to the outskirts of the empire to find new life where no one would bother them. And they would gather in communities. Wherever Christians would find themselves, they would gather together in the outskirts here and support one another and be a living church but even in the outskirts of the empire, in the outer realms of the Roman Empire where they are hopefully left alone, they're still going to find persecution because they are new to the community. They are aliens to the community. They are not Roman. They are not, well, they're Greek. They're Roman, but they're Christians. It could also be a mixture of, of Jewish Christians coming together as well. So these new communities of Christians here are a, it's, it's a melting pot of diverse opinions, diverse languages, diverse peoples. But what unites them is the blood of Christ. And that was odd. Here we are, we are, if we are living in the Roman Empire, of course the Greek language and the Greek culture is still very much dominant in this time. But you also have a a melting pot of people from all around the known world at that time who would come through the Roman Empire to trade, to settle, and you would have communities that were diverse. But these Christians were the oddball out. Even though that there were, you had to get along with people who spoke different languages, you had to get along with people who, who came from different communities, the Christians were the ones who were rejected. And Peter reminds them in verse 4, you come to Christ as a living stone, rejected by men. I don't know about you. I mean, if you can actually relate to this, that you've been rejected, maybe you understand where Peter's coming from here. But notice here in verse 4, even though the Christians are living stones rejected by the world, notice here at the end of verse 4, but in God's sight, you're precious and you're chosen. Ponder that. I mean, that's a very important thing. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. It's not that, that, it's not that God randomly found us. It's that God intentionally grabbed us, called us into His church, called us to repentance. He chose us even though we were rejected. Ponder that. How many of us, even if we've been walking with Christ for a while, we are that perfect, smooth stone that God adores? How many of us are smooth and perfect and ideal? Anybody? That's, the, that's what Peter's reminding them of here. Nobody that God has chosen, no one that God has, has made precious, none of us are that perfectly chosen stone, that, that ideal building material to create his church with. He's got to work on us a little bit. Would you all agree with that? Has God been working on you a little bit? When you're working with stone, you got to chisel it away. you got these uh, the, these stone cutter saws now that have the blades and, and the water and stuff. Have you ever been cut by one of those things? 
I told you that years ago I was I had to build all the stone and actually I built a lot of the house. I've still got a scar right here where I ran my my hand across a table saw. I still have the scar. It's not easy being shaped and being molded and being chiseled by God to be what He needs to fit into the overall building of His church. Anyone who thinks that they've come to Christ ideally perfect and God's just going to plug us right into the puzzle with no help or with no worries and no no uh, shaping or, or deceiving themselves. This passage reminds us that God, even though we were we were an odd stone, even though we didn't fit exactly, we may be very rough. It is God who is chiseling us and shaping us. He chose us anyway because He saw the potential and He saw that we were precious. If you've ever studied any kind of art history and you see the great sculptures of, of antiquity, we don't actually take time to create beautiful art anymore. It's all manufactured quick, quantity over quality. But if you look at the ancient and even the Renaissance, great masterpieces of sculpture, those masterpieces began as just a lump of stone. Marble, whatever they could find. Marble would have been desired, but even when they found a piece of stone, no one could envision what that stone could be. I mean, just initially, that marble, that stone was just this big slab. But an artist like Michelangelo, who created some of the greatest masterpieces of the Renaissance, he would see a piece of stone But in that stone, he would see a beautiful piece of art. He saw the potential there. And Michelangelo is is very widely known as saying, when someone asked him, how do you choose the right material? He says, you may see just a lump of, of marble or stone, but I see beauty in it. And it's my job as the artist to release that beautiful statue from the marble. That's what God does with us. It's what God does with us. We are living stones that the world rejects, but in the sight of God, He chooses us anyway, and He makes us precious. Now in verse 5, He continues, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this takes the imagery of the living stone a little bit further here. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What's Peter referring to here? This is actually a reference back to the building of the ancient temple. He is comparing the church that God is establishing here like the old temple of, uh, of antiquity, of, of, of the temple of the Jews in Jerusalem. That is where God called His people to build Himself a house. Remember, He, he put the heart of building the temple in the heart of David, but David was not allowed to build it. It was his son Solomon that first, built the first temple, Solomon's temple. And then later there, were, uh, there was another temple that came se- uh, several centuries later. But you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. God is building His church with stones that are rejects. 
And he's building a place that is not acceptable to men, but is acceptable to him. Now, this is an amazing thing. When we think about what is acceptable to God and what is worthy of God, it's something that is precious and holy and perfect, right? We want to dress ourselves up, we want to clean ourselves up, and we want to present ourselves to God in the best way possible. And we should. But it's not what we do to ourselves to make us better, to make us more pretty. <laughs> it's what God does to us, through us in Christ, that makes us holy and righteous in His eyes. He shapes us and molds us to build His church, a spiritual house. He goes on further in verse 5, to be a holy priesthood. This is where the concept of the priesthood of the believer comes in play here. This is an important doctrine of the church. To be a holy priesthood. I mean, clearly, the, the ancient, the Mosaic law of antiquity, God called the tribe of Levi to be the tribe of the priesthood. Right? He set aside a special select group within the tribes of, of Israel to be the priesthood. God, from the very beginning of, of, of His existence and His interaction with His people and calling His people together, even from ancient Judaism all the way up to the modern church, has always established leadership and priesthood. But an interesting here in verse 5, Peter is, is emphasizing that the priesthood is not what it was in the Old Testament law. The priesthood is what God is making through living stones. You and I inhabit the priesthood of believers. Now, what does that mean? This idea of the priest, right? The priest is the one who offers the sacrifice for sins. Is Peter implying here that we can somehow gain forgiveness of sins by being priests? No. That's not what he intends here. He's implying that as living stones rejected by men, but bought by God and seen as precious, we are, being, we are the building blocks of His spiritual house. God is giving us, making us, molding us into priests, if you will. It's, it's not that we are priests. It's, it's like priesthood. We are becoming a holy priesthood that is better and more acceptable than the Old Testament law that established the office of the priest. We are being, as Christians, being molded by God to be like priests, to be representatives of His church, to be representatives of His holy house to the world, but also that we come to Christ because we are bought by Christ, we are changed to be like Christ. Jesus is the supreme High priest, according to Hebrews, we in Christ have that same likeness. And in so, we are able to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, that's, that's an interesting thing. If we are unable to offer any sacrifices to God because they are unacceptable, and we need a priesthood in order to do that for us on our behalf, the imagery here is that God is the one who makes the sacrifices acceptable. Can you and I earn God's favor by being in this status of the priesthood? No. That's not what Peter is saying. But through the blood of Christ, he's indicating that we are able then to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. But the only thing acceptable to God as a sacrifice 
is those sacrifices that are in Christ. You see where we're going? Even those Old Testament sacrifices from the old Mosaic law, they were set up as foreshadowings of the sacrifice that was to come in Christ. God, in the old Mosaic law, accepted the sacrifices as the Mosaic law indicated, but those sacrifices never were completely, fully acceptable to God. They were temporary at best. And all of those sacrifices simply pointed to the holiness and the blood of Christ. Peter talks about this in the first chapter. The writer of Hebrews goes into this significantly. Anything that we offer as God's holy priesthood as a sacrifice to be acceptable to God is that that which Christ, that Jesus himself has already done. Amen? So there's two sacrifices here implied that are spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Number one, sacrifice of ourselves. Sacrifice of ourselves. I want to read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to help us understand this. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1, indicates this. This is the writing of Paul now. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm going to continue in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Anything that we bring to God must be acceptable by Him. The only thing that God will accept is that which has been sacrificed through the blood of Christ. But Paul here, and Peter's emphasizing this in 1 Peter chapter 2, but Paul in Romans chapter 12, he's in challenging the Christians. He, he, he calls to the Christians to present themselves as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable. And this is our spiritual worship. So that's the first sacrifice. We sacrifice ourselves. Now what does that mean? I have to criticize a little bit Way FM. Anybody listen to Way FM? 90, yeah, 90.5 in this area. I, I mean, listen, I love Way FM. I listen to the music. The music does from, you know, from, it, it's encouraging music. It really lifts up your spirits. But here's the one thing, a common theme that I find on that station that I do struggle with. I'm not bashing the web, the, the station. Okay, I'm not bashing. I love the ministry. I love the music. But li- the one thing I do have a problem with is that there's this common theme that, uh, that God accepts us just the way we are. Do you know what that implies? That we don't have to change. That implies that God accepts our sin. He loves us exactly the way we are. He accepts us exactly the way we are. Now, is there some truth to that? Sure. God meets us where we are in our sin. Would you agree? But does He leave us there? Does God accept that sin? No. You see, that, that's the part that I don't hear being clarified on, on some of the things being said on way. Again, there's some truth to what they're saying. My criticism is go a little bit further and, and emphasize, yes, he meets you where you are in your sin, but he doesn't leave you there. 
It's not just way FM. That's a common thing said in a lot of churches these days. God loves you just the way you are. Sure he does. He loves every one of us exactly how he's made us. But did God make us in the image of sin? I would say no. We caused ourselves to be sinful through the rejection of God Almighty. We are born under the curse of Adam, that first rejection of God's law. God did not make us that way. Now, He accepts us in that way so that He can then change us as living stones. He chips away those rough edges. He smooths out those things that need to be smoothed. He molds us and chisels away those things He wants to be chiseled away in order for us to fit exactly the way He is planning for His church. Amen? But we don't want that. Dear God, I love this too much. Don't chisel that away from me. I love it. And we hold on to whatever it is that's holding us back. That rough area of the stone that God is starting to chisel away on through His Holy Spirit and through the blood of His Son. He's trying to chip away those things that are making us imperfect and He wants us to be that perfect, beautiful shape, that beautiful stone for His church. Yes, He accepts us the way we are. He sees us as chosen and precious, but He's changing us. Amen? Amen? That's the first sacrifice. I'm sorry. Sacrifice ourselves. We've got to sacrifice ourselves. We've got to put away our selfish desires. The second sacrifice here. Once we sacrifice ourselves, which means we sacrifice our selfishness, we sacrifice our own will and desire, we come to God holy and acceptable as He is making us so. The second aspect to this acceptable sacrifice to God is our duties of faith Prayers, alms, giving, offerings, sacrifices that way. A holy life. These are acceptable offerings to God through Jesus. Now, can we do this on our own? Absolutely not. Peter is not indicating we make this happen. Peter is indicating this is the result of God Himself who is causing all of these things to be put away through the blood of His Son. And he continues in verse 6. Now he quotes Isaiah chapter 28. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Who is the prophet Isaiah speaking about here? And Peter is quoting this for a purpose. Who is that chosen cornerstone that is precious? Jesus himself. God himself laid a cornerstone in Zion, a chosen and precious stone, just as God chose and made a precious stone in Jesus Christ and established Him for His church. Likewise, those of us who are in Christ, who have been bought by Christ, we are in similar fashion. The thing is, though, God didn't have to chisel away anything on Jesus, that perfect cornerstone, did He? God didn't have to shape Jesus and make Him that perfect stone. That's not indicated. But we in Christ are being chiseled and molded and shaped to be in the image of Christ. Notice here in verse 6, here's the important thing. Whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in this cornerstone, what? Will not be put to shame. 
Those who believe in this cornerstone are acceptable and they will not be put to shame. Now let me close with this. Verses 7 and 8. Now Peter contrasts those who are chosen and precious, those stones that were rejected by men, but God saw as chosen and precious. Now Peter contrasts with those stones that are rejected. Verse 7. Those who believe in the cornerstone, so the honor is for you who believe. Those who believe in Christ, that's what he's talking about. The second half of verse 7. But for those who do not believe, notice here, for those who do not believe in Christ, those who do not believe that God is the cause of all salvation, those who do not believe what God is doing, he now quotes Psalm verse 118. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 22. He says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Those non-believers who reject the perfect stone of Christ, that stone, Jesus Christ, has become the cornerstone. And that stone in verse 8, Jesus Himself is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who do not believe. Years ago, I had some lovely Christians, so-called, who did not live the Christian life. They had the title of Christian. They even had the title of leadership. But they rejected God's Word. Even though they said that the preacher has the freedom to listen to the Holy Spirit, to preach God's Word as God speaks through him, they rejected God's Word to the point that they said that God's Word, and this is a direct quote, God's Word is offensive. And they were trying to make me as the pastor change my sermons because the sermons that were being preached were offending too many people in the church. Here's what I told them. I said, if I've said anything that offends anyone directly that is not in line with God's Word, I am sorry. I said, but you have to remember, the very gospel of Jesus Christ, by its design, is intended to be offensive to the non-believer. Would you all agree? Anyone who gets angry with biblical preaching, anyone who gets angry with the true gospel being discussed, anyone who rejects the true, pure, precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross are rejecting it because it offends them. And it causes them to trip up. But you know what? That's exactly the way God designed it. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you love God and you are being chosen by Him and being shaped into a new living stone, then that gospel of the Word of God, that gospel of Jesus Christ, that God is speaking, that Jesus is living out, has lived out, you embrace it. For all it's worth, you embrace the hard times. You embrace the suffering. You embrace God chiseling away those things in our lives that are painful. You accept it. But if you do not believe, then you reject God in His building. You reject God in His chosen, precious 
loving state. You reject the stone of Jesus Christ, that perfect cornerstone, because it offends you. Verse 8 continues, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I'm going to close with Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 8, if you'll flip over there with me. We're going to close with this because Peter here is emphasizing something very important. Remember, he's writing to the church, encouraging the church that we are stones that God is using and shaping to build His holy church. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. This is where Peter is leading to. For the Lord spoke thus to me with His strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. And He will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And may and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. I mean, Isaiah here is prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ as that perfect cornerstone that is going to cause the disobedient to stumble and to fall and to be broken. Do we remember Peter and, and all that he endured um, in Matthew? Do you all remember that? Peter was called by Christ to be the cornerstone of his church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Do you all remember that? Here's the thing. God Almighty will build His people the way He wants to build His people. Would you all agree with that? But sometimes we uh, we come to... We come to Christ, we come to the church and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, quote-unquote. And we come expecting to be actually who we are and God's not going to change us because God loves us exactly the way we are. We come to the church, we come to salvation in Christ and we actually say to God, I will claim the name of Jesus. I will accept Jesus as my Savior as long as it's on my terms and as long as I can stay exactly who I am. I think biblically here we see the exact opposite is true. When we come to Jesus Christ, when we are called by God to repentance and He is shaping us and changing us, we actually are going to face a lot of suffering and and turmoil and sorrow in the process. But Peter is encouraging the church here, in the midst of all this, embrace the truth of what God is doing. Celebrate what God is doing in you. Folks, here's what I want to ask you to think about. 
Peter himself understood what it meant to be the rock. That was his name. Jesus told him in Matthew, the book of Matthew, that I will make you the cornerstone of my church. On this rock, I will build my church. And the name Peter, Petros, sounds like the same Greek word for rock. Peter understood the imagery here. He's using the same imagery from his own life experience with with our Lord here as he's talking to the church. I am that stone that Jesus shaped for His purpose and His destiny. And I went through a lot. And he's saying, church, you're going to do the same. Is God doing something in your heart and your life right now that you're having trouble with, that you're saying, God, I don't like this. God, I hate this. God, stop it. Has anybody ever cried out to God and said, stop what you're doing, God. I hate it. It's painful. I've done that from time to time. But God shapes us to build His church. We individually, He is shaping into being living stones so that we can harmonize together as a collection of building material to be God's holy temple. And He's going to not only shape us individually, He's going to shape us corporately. He's the master builder. Amen? Where are you in this process? Has God even chosen you as that stone He wants to make into the perfect stone? God doesn't choose perfect people. He chooses flawed, broken, failed people. Right? But He makes us exactly what He wants us to be. And I love that. Amen. If you're here this morning, and I'm just going to challenge you, if anything in God's Word causes you to stumble and be offended, I'm going to say, Hallelujah, the Lord is speaking into your heart. I'm going to celebrate the fact that you're offended. Woohoo! Amen. That's great. God is offending you through His Gospel. Amen. You can get all mad you want. Go ahead and get mad. Get it out of your system. Then let's pray and let's figure out what God is doing. Amen. That's why we men, we need loving godly wives whenever we're coming home and belly aching and whining and complaining about our stress level and our responsibilities and I don't like this and I don't like that. My lovely wife lets me go so far and then she says, are you done? Let's pray. Let's see what God's doing here. That's a wonderful thing. Let me pray for us. Father God, we do thank You for Your Word and we thank You, God, that You do not make things so easy for us that we get lazy and complacent. Father, You, through Your Word, are telling us, through Your servant Peter, he tells us that You have chosen us as precious even though the world rejects us because we're flawed. But God, I thank You that You don't leave us there. Through our struggles and through our pain, You are shaping us and You are making us exactly the men and women You intend us to be that You need for us to be to build Your church. And so, Father, I ask that You strengthen us through Your Spirit to allow that to happen. Not for our glory, God, but for Yours. As we are privileged to be a part of what You're building, Lord, teach us our place. Show us where You have us to be. 
Again, not for our glory, but for yours. I pray, God, you would guide us as a church and use us as you need us to be used. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.